What's going on? This is JT Shea from Native Sons. You're listening to Jay Scott on The Hook Rocks. Check out our new single, Drama, on all streaming services. I've got you under my skin. I've got you deep in the heart of me. So deep in my heart that you're really a part of me. I've got you under my skin. I tried so not to give in. I said to myself, this affair never will go so well. But why should I try to resist when, baby, I know so well I've got you under my skin I'd sacrifice anything, come what might for this Hey everyone, welcome back to The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. I'm your host, Jay Scott. Thanks for tuning in once again. As I always mention, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. You can find my friends like Vinny Apice and Carmen Apice on the Hanging and Banging Podcast, Mistress Carrie out in Boston, Martin Popoff, the rock historian, Tom and Zeus on the number one rated KISS podcast, Shout Out Loudcast, as well as Decibel Geek and the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Mac out in London does a great job. You can follow The Hook Rocks wherever you do podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, wherever. And don't forget to set your app to automatic download. Download, Write us a review if you so choose. We always like to hear your feedback. And don't forget to check out some of our previous episodes over the last couple months with Ty Taber from King's X, Joe Satriani, as well as Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy, as well as many new music spotlights, spotlighting new music, as we always do on The Hook Rocks. And we have our next guest here who's got a new album coming out here at the end of May. He's a legendary guitar player. And I think we can include crooner now as well. Uh, my guest is Mark Tremonti. What's happening, Mark? Happened. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much. Uh, we always start the same way every time we have a first-time guest on the podcast, and that is really what we're all about. Just like every great rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock band has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked you on rock and roll. What was it for you? Uh, let's see. I, th- I think it was uh, the movie Back to the Future, man. I think I watched that, and I was like, you know what? I got to play guitar, uh, and I want to do it. For a living, that was, I think that and the Crossroads movie where Steve I and uh, uh, Ry Cooter knocked nailing those guitar parts. So, what was it in Back to the Future? Was it the Eddie Van Halen alien scene, or was it Marty tearing it up at the end of the movie at the dance? It was at the dance. That was yeah, that was one of the coolest movie moments ever when I was a kid. So, I I wanted to play guitar after that. When you think back at that time and as you move forward with it, being introduced to it, when was the first time that you wanted to be in a band and wanted to get up on stage? Was there a moment for you? Uh, you know, as soon as as soon as I, uh, I realized the obsession I had for playing the guitar, I, I wanted to do it for, for my life. I didn't want to do anything else. You know, I, I, uh, um, I when I was a kid, I think I was in seventh grade. I had my first band and we started playing the local the local church um, 
would have these uh, once a month, they would let bands perform there in the, in the hall and we would go there and do that. So I was playing on stage. Uh, I don't know how old you are in seventh grade, but that's when I started. Now you grew up just outside of Chicago, right? You're not, you're not grew up, but you spent some time in your youth just outside of Chicago. Yeah, I grew up in uh, Detroit, and then I moved to Chicago for three years, then back to Detroit, and then down to Florida. Okay, yeah. I grew up in, in Des Plaines, which is about 10, 15 minutes outside of Chicago on the north side. Mm-hmm. If you don't like planes and trains, don't live in Des Plaines. It's right next to O'Hare Airport. Yeah. So, Oh, yeah. that's uh, I, was, I was a Wilmette kid. Okay. So coming off your, your solo album last year into this year, People were very surprised to learn that you did a Sinatra tribute album. Uh, it's Tremonti Sings Sinatra. And you got the the surviving members of the Sinatra band to play on this album. For me, you know, being a rock fan pretty much since I was a kid, but also being exposed to my grandfather, who was a lounge piano player back in the days of the speakeasies, mm-hmm. and hearing mm-hmm. Sinatra and hearing Dean Martin at his house at a very young age and growing up with that. And even though I was a rock fan, like I mentioned, I still had that in me because I was exposed to that. Yeah, uh, I really appreciated this because it brought me back to that time of just, you know, your grandparents back in the day, they didn't watch TV. They talked and they listened to music. Absolutely. And, and uh, I just remember just sitting around the kitchen table as he smoked his Winston's, hearing Sinatra playing in the background and just listening to stories of the old days and, and all that and hearing the family history. So for for that, I immediately connected with this album. That's great. You know, I've heard a lot of the same from a lot of people saying that this reminded them of their their parents or their grandparents and it put them in a happy place. And a lot of people just say it puts a smile on their face and and that's what that does to you know frank sinatra's music has always kind of been my my happy place you know it just makes me feel good so it was was fun to chase this project down when you were making that determination on your next project Mm -hmm. how did this come to be when did you decide that this is what you wanted to do so about three years ago you know i've always been a fan of frank sinatra and um I always loved singing Sinatra tunes at Christmas time and just always, you know, it was always kind of a part of our culture. But then about three years ago, I became obsessed. I got, I wanted to dig into his early, earlier years and uh, sing like him. And I did all my homework, but I didn't know what I was going to do with it. Um, and then we got a diagnosis that uh, my daughter had Down syndrome. So I said, you know what, this obsession serves a purpose. Frank Sinatra raised over a billion dollars for charity. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this in his his name. I'm going to try my best to sing like him and and uh, raise money for Down syndrome. So we partnered up with NDSS, which is National Down Syndrome Society, and created this record. When I told my manager I want to do this, he said, you know, my guitar teacher growing up was Dan McIntyre, who was Frank Sinatra's touring guitar player. So it was one of those stars lining moments. So he he scheduled a lunch with Dan, who who introduced him to Mike Smith, who was Frank Sinatra's band leader and played with Frank for over 40 years. So those guys sat down and said, can your boy sing? And my manager had never heard me sing a single word of, you know, Frank Sinatra's music. So uh, him being my manager, believing in me, just said, oh, of course you can. <laughs> so they scheduled uh, the first two sessions and, and uh, the band approved and we continued to do 14 tracks. When you're recording this stuff and you're singing this music, 
it's a much different approach than what you're used to, right? I mean, the way he delivers the lyrics, the way he he sounds. How did you get into that kind of space, that headspace, first of all, to kind of deliver that and sing that, and also mm-hmm. just change your approach that you've known for however long you've been making music? You know, it might sound strange, but I don't practice, um, when it comes to rock and roll, I don't practice singing. You know, you practice on stage, you practice at rehearsals, but you don't sit at home and work on it because it's, uh, there's only so much, so long you can sing at those levels. Because when I do the rock and roll thing, I'm pushing my range and blowing my voice out. Um, but with this stuff, I could sing it for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours every day and, and, and keep working on it. So it was the first time I've really honed in on how to sing exactly like as closely as you could to somebody's style. So my son Pearson plays on two soccer teams and he had soccer practice four to five nights a week, about an hour away. So I would drive to soccer practice, sing Frank Sinatra songs all the way to soccer practice, get to soccer practice, sit in my car for three hours because it was COVID and you couldn't go on the, you couldn't go on the fields to watch your kids. So I'd sit with my laptop in my car and I would um, write, you know, I, I would type out the lyrics and I would type them the way he, he pronunciated the words. And then I would uh, make notes on where he took his breaths, how he phrased things, where he would throw vibrato and where he wouldn't. And I would just, so I would take three hours just looking at one song. And I would do that, like I said, for maybe a year and a half for four to five days a week. So I would sometimes get four hours of just singing Frank Sinatra practice and more than I was playing guitar at the time. When you are practicing that and you're singing the way he sung the song and, you know, the approach that he took, what were some of the, the, the physical challenges of going from what you're used to into, into this type of, of singing? Um, you know, he had a, he had a very deep range. Frank Sinatra did. So I think the toughest challenge on this record was um, physically was hitting the low note in the song wave. Uh, which is one of my favorite Sinatra tunes. And I really wanted to, you know, when I was diving in and doing all my homework, um, I read in a book where he loved that lower register. And the, the lowest he ever sang was a couple songs, uh, Wave and A Cottage for Sale. And I heard, I listened to both songs a bunch and Wave just stuck out as a song I wanted to do for this record. Um, but it actually fits my range way better than all the rock stuff does. So it almost feels, his range feels like home to me. So I, I love singing it. Um, the, actually the most challenging part of doing this is Frank Sinatra's phrasing is awesome. You know, he, I think he got in a room with all these incredible musicians and he saw how they use their instruments and they would improvise and they would play in pocket and they play on top of the beat and they'd move around and they, there were these, this great, um, this great talent. And I think he wanted to show the guys, I'm like, I'm one of you guys. I'm one of you musicians. I'm going to use my voice like an instrument. He watched Tommy Dorsey to learn how to breathe and how to phrase. And if you listen to his live performances, he never sang the same song twice the same way. He'd always move stuff around. So you'd have to kind of really dive into his phrasing and where, what his habits were. And, uh, you know, that was the toughest thing was those big gaps where there's songs like Nancy with the laughing face. Uh, There's so much space and there's so many tempo changes. You really got to, you really got to hone in on it. When you were listening to his music and you were, you know, thinking of the songs to record, were you listening to the studio versions or, you know, were you listening to some of the live recordings that, like you said, he moved stuff around, he never sang the same song twice? How did you decide to approach the song 
you know, either studio or live performance? Uh, I mixed it up. I, I listened to everything and I picked my favorites and the band. Um, it seems like all, all the musicians love the live at the sands um, recording. You know, that was some of their favorite versions of the song. So on the record we did, uh, you make me feel so young. Uh, like they played it at that show. We got the, the charts for that show. Um, a few other songs, we did the same thing, but um, we had one of the biggest challenges was not to do the traditional um, arrangements that the, the big hits that you heard, but, but to, to try to make them as different as we could. Some half the record, half the record, we tried to stay true to the songs like the fly me to the moon and under my skin that people have heard already, but there's songs like the song is you, we small hours of the morning, uh, all or nothing at all. I fall in love too easily my way that we had to rearrange these songs and do them our way because um, we wanted to get support with the Sinatra estate and get, get played on seriously Sinatra radio and they needed original versions of these songs. So we challenged ourselves to make them, uh, make them our own. When you're doing this collaborative effort with the surviving members of his band, well, first off, was that always the intention to do that or did that just come about because of, you know, that meeting that you had, did you always want to record with, or, you know, with those musicians or were you planning on going in and just selecting musicians to record the album? No, I mean, to be honest, when I was practicing singing Sinatra's tunes, I was looking into local musicians just to get a handful of guys together to go to local restaurants to just have fun. You know, this was just going to be a hobby for me to have, you know, unannounced shows at uh at clubs and whatnot because it was just a passion of mine and then when i told my manager i wanted to do this project he's like no 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 we're not going to use random musicians and my my guitar teacher was in the band so we're going to use the real guys we're going to we're going to go all the way with this so i credit my manager tim for pulling it off because it was no easy feat getting this you know getting the original band members to perform is one thing and then also getting the approval from the frank sinatra estate is almost impossible. And we got that. Um, that's guys like Tony Bennett and Michael Buble who get that kind of stuff. So it was, I think because he knew that we were using the guys, the, the real guys, and we were doing it for charity that day, that they approved this project. As far as the collaborative piece of making this music, you know, these guys that you're recording with, I mean, they were there. I mean, they were like in the trenches with Frank. Yeah. How much did you rely on them you know, for direction on the songs and, you know, where to, where to, how to phrase and what to do. Was it, was it a teaching moment for you too, as well? No, I came in there, practiced and rehearsed. I needed to, I, Mike, Mike Smith, the band leader, uh, the very, very first day we did luck be a lady. And uh, we sat down and we were listening to playback and uh, he was like, Hey man, the old, the old man went through a vibrato on this phrase. And I said, uh, Man, I, I I can't tell you how long I've practiced this this stuff. I, I, let me let me consult my notes, and I look back at my notebook, which I have right here, the my old blue eyes notebook, and I've got every single word broken down to every vowel, every vibrato note, every breath. So I said, "Well, look, can we do the playback?" And we played back Frank Sinatra's version. He's like, "You got it, kid. You're right. <laughs> you know, have at it." Because these guys are used to hearing Frank Sinatra sing it live every night. So he's like, maybe he didn't throw vibrato on this note when he sang it live with him a hundred times. But uh, on the recordings that, that I was chasing down, I tried to get it as close, close as I could. And it, it, there's nothing like practicing something for three years and then going into the studio and having somebody tell you to change it. 
it's impossible to unlearn something when it's a muscle memory like that. It's not impossible, but it's very hard. So they, uh, they let me do my thing. And uh, as far as the arrangements go, Carrie Deadman did some arranging for uh, Frank Sinatra and he, he arranged all the new arrangements that we did for this record. So um, he would do the arrangements, send them to me. I'd practice them. And um, I really never had to give any input. They all sounded great. So um, the only song that we really had a true collaboration on when it came to the music was my way. You know, I said, I wanted to do this song way different than the original version because it's, you know, it's such a popular song. I didn't want to just have a record full of the my ways in New York, New York's and all that. So I said, if we're going to do this song, uh, we got to do it different. So we got out the nylon string guitar, piano, bass, and, a, and some wind instruments and just did it more of a stripped down version of it. And uh, that was us sitting in a room, just jamming, you know, that wasn't charts. That was just, that was just jamming along to this tune. As far as the personal meaning of this album, you know, you're able to record, first of all, on, on, the, on the artistic side, you know, record with the surviving members of Frank's band, uh, which makes this so much more honest and so much more, you know, of, of a of a timepiece for you. And as far as that timepiece goes, every artist always looks at a recording, a song or music they record as kind of like an entry in a diary. And then you have the personal aspect with your daughter and the charity that you're doing this for. When you are recording this album, is that with you while you're doing it? Is all that stuff with you, what you're doing? Are you focused solely on the music or do you understand the personal meaning this is for you uh, as you record it? This is the most personal record I've ever recorded. You know, this is, uh, this is my new purpose in life is to, is to, support those with down syndrome and I'm doing it through this project that made it a very, very emotional thing. The thing I worry about the most about doing this is when I go to perform and I speak about how I'm pleased and, and, and uh, honored to have guests come and support this cause, I might get emotional. And <laughs> that's going to be the toughest thing is, is trying to be that professional and kind of turn that emotional switch off when I'm talking about it, because it's, uh, it's, it's tough. Um, to me, that's that's going to be the ultimate challenge. When you when you think of this recording, like I said, in, in the charity too, as as well, and being able to align yourself with with this great charity, and now doing the work that you're going to do, and mentioning what Frank did, you know, donating over a, you know a billion dollars in charity throughout his career. It's a it's a it's a big feat to do that. When you think of a billion dollars, you think of the day and age when he did that too, as well. I mean, it yeah. wasn't present day. Is that kind of the template that you're moving forward, knowing that and, and going towards that? I'm just happy to be able to just show people that uh, Frank Sinatra wasn't just this big, confident New York, New York guy. This that that had all the drama with his, you know, um, within his career and in his his relationships. He he was a philanthropist as well and people don't talk about that you know raising over a billion dollars is not something that uh, many people have ever done and it's just sad that people don't talk about that I never heard about it until I had learned about it myself so it's great to be able to showcase that um, but my goal is uh, I know that this Frank Sinatra record that I'm putting out is not going to raise a billion dollars I know that I know it could raise it could raise a million dollars which would be a dream come true but my goal really is to raise a hundred million dollars with everybody else's projects on top of mine. 
to take a chance for charity organizations is going to challenge other people. All the guests you just mentioned, like Joe Satriani and Ty Tabor, all these guys, ask them to do something that their fan base would never see coming um, and do it uh, in the name of, of raising money for charity. Um, and it's also, I think it's a win-win for everybody because you're raising money for people that need it. And you're also doing a project that you otherwise would never get to do that your fan base might not approve of. But the moment you do it for charity, you can do whatever you want. So if you're a football player and you fancy yourself a country singer, sing that country song and do it for charity. You're going to get it. It's going to be accepted. Otherwise, people might look the other way. But if you're doing it for charity, you can do whatever you want. As far as performing this, are there any plans to do any shows in the future? Yeah, we've got a show booked on May 14th here in Orlando. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm a little nervous for that one. It's sold out in one day. And um, it's, uh, you know, the whole band's, you know, it's going to be a 17-piece band down here in Orlando. A lot of the key guys from Chicago are coming down, and then we're going to fill in some local players. Because Sinatra had regional band guys all over the country. And there's many more than we performed with up in Chicago. So we're going to try to... Uh, fill the gaps down here. And then because it, uh, because so many people reached out and wanted to see the show that couldn't get in, we're going to try to schedule some more this summer, maybe up in New York, Chicago. Um, and then uh, this winter, we're going to be with Alter Bridge over in Europe. And I might just stay there a little longer and maybe uh, hit the Christmas season over in the UK and do some shows overseas as well. What are you reading these days? I know you're an avid reader. What, uh, what, uh, right what's now, the I'm reading the new uh, Joe Abercrombie trilogy. The uh, um, right now, it's uh, I'm reading the Wisdom of Crowds. I just got done reading Into Thin Air, which is a book that's a few years old. It's about climbing Everest, and, oh, and yeah. the group. It's a, it's an amazing book. It's absolutely um, it's fantastic. You know, one yeah. of the things I learned is like when you get to a certain point climbing Everest, you, your body starts to die. And it's like a race mm-hmm. against the clock. It's, it's, it, it oh. wrap your mind around that is. Oh yeah. yeah. I've got a buddy who's obsessed with climbing mountains. He goes all over the world climbing. I think he's going to do Everest, but he's, I don't know if he's going to, if he's going to do that one or not, if you're even, but he's done, I think he's done like six, seven mountains and it's nuts. He's you got to spend a fortune to do it and you got to spend all this time doing it. And it's, it's, uh, to me, it's crazy. I don't want to sit in a frozen tent on a mountainside. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Ever. Uh, and as far as the rest of the year, you know, you've got this coming out at the end of May. Um, I know Alter Bridge is working on, an, on a new album. You know, is there any plans for more releases later on this year? Uh, well, like I said, we're in the studio right now. Um, we'll be releasing Alter Bridge 7, which is going to be called Pawns and Kings on October 14th. And then this record comes out May 27th and I'll just be touring in the, in the gaps. You know, I'm, I'm headed to Europe on May 27th as well to go tour Europe with Tremonti. And then, so it's, I'm pretty much, pretty much booked between Tremonti tours, Ultra Bridge tours, Sinatra record coming out, Ultra Bridge record coming out and, and trying to do some Sinatra touring in the gaps as well. Last question before we wrap up, when you were recording this album, and you were putting it together. Was there any apprehension because of what you're known as, as a rock guitar player, you know, rock God, rock guitar God. Was there any thought of, man, you know, will I alienate my audience or was the cause greater than the risk? Yeah. You know, I thought 
I didn't do the project first because I thought it would, a lot of people wouldn't get it, you know? And then, uh, as soon as, as soon as we got that diagnosis, where we knew my daughter had down syndrome and the light bulb went off, like, wow, this is, this is going to be a great project. I'm going to do it for charity. And, and it's, it's, it all makes sense now kind of a thing. I had no apprehension. Um, I still had some doubts about some of the song choices. Um, I knew everybody would be fine with that's life and my way and all the songs that everybody knows, but um, a song like I fall in love too easily, you know, when you hear your hard rock guy, that's, you know, you follow their music and they're singing this, you know, a love song. Are you going to get it? But I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I stayed, stayed the course and sang my favorite songs because it turned out to be one of my favorite performances on the record. So um, I'm happy. I just, I just did what I wanted to do. And that's usually what you do with songwriting anyways, just follow your heart and do it. If, uh, if there's a handful of people that, that don't get it, um, I'm sure they'll still appreciate it because it's for charity. Mark, it's been a blast. Thank you very much for doing this. Um, the new album, Tremonti sings Sinatra out later this month. Uh, go get it. It's absolutely amazing. Especially if you're like me, who has that history with, listening to Sinatra at a very young age and, and having those family moments where you're listening to the crooners, like you are at your grandparents or if your parents, um, it does, it does mean something. It, it is nice to kind of reflect on it and hear that in a, in a, in a different take like Mark does on this album. So uh, look forward to that and, and go get it. Well, thank you. Yeah. And you know, if you go to Tremonti sing Sinatra.com, that's where the record is. And that's where you can just hit the donate now button straight to NDSS as well. And you can also um, see on the site how you can take a chance for charity. It's got the links and the, and the instructions on how another artist or you or any, anybody, even if, if you got 10 followers on Instagram, you can take a chance for charity and do it. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Go get that uh, Tremonti record, Tremonti Sing Sinatra, out later this month. I'm Jay Scott. You've been listening to The Hook Rocks. Take care of each other. We'll talk soon. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. In other words, baby, kiss me. Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.